You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. I have um, Robin Arnott, who's the CEO of Enter Andromeda, and the website is enterandromeda.com. So uh, I don't know very much about what Robin does, but he'll explain it. So welcome, Robin. Thank you for coming. Sure. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. Tell me, what, what is uh, Enter Andromeda? What's the premise of the company? Sure. The company is Andromeda Entertainment. So I come from a game development background. I was an audio engineer for games for a long time and became a game designer and worked with some incredibly talented game designers in my tenure. And in in working in games, I've I've learned something really, I think, phenomenal about how, how games work. They really do capture our minds and our imaginations in a way that I don't think any other medium does. And they capture our, our kind of embodied sense of being in a way that no other medium does. You know, in a game, you're making decisions, you're acting. And so there's there's a, a real quality of not only immersion and transportation to another world, but also practicing something, being something, and and it's a real trance-inducing medium. And at some point along the way, I, when I started a practice of of psychedelics and of meditation, I realized that this technology, gaming, which I'd already fallen in love with, and and to be frank, I'd already fallen in love with it for because I saw the capacity of the the medium as an artistic medium. So I'd already fallen in love with this. And, and as I started meditating more and, and say engaging in a more introspective journey, I realized that games have an, an incredible capacity to, to play a role in people's introspective journeys and, and to give people a, uh, because a video game, when you play it, forces your, your mind to adapt to the structure it gives you. It has a set of rules and, and you intuitively get the rules and you adapt who you are while you're playing the game. Right. I realized, yeah, I realized that that we could create rule sets that would invite players to structure their being in a way that that's actually more still, actually more introspective and, and actually helps people enter really deep states of consciousness. And what we've seen, what we've seen so far not only in our work, but in other people's work is, is we, we can, with players who have no, say, meditation experience, with an intelligently designed rule set, we can, we can kind of put their brains into states that, when you look at the brainwaves, resemble that of an experienced meditator. So we're only just beginning I, um, to... Go on. I guess, I guess the um, ideal way to do that would be like slipping vegetables into... Uh, you know, someone's uh, mac and cheese if they hate vegetables. So um, I don't know if um, a meditation game would be exciting, but if you can incorporate those elements into a game that 
people wouldn't even know would help them in that way, that might be ideal. That's exactly correct. And uh, it, because here's the thing, like, let's say vegetables, you know, uh, like I love Brussels sprouts and broccoli. They're some of my favorite food, but it, it takes exposure to Brussels sprouts and broccoli to really gain an appreciation of them. And it might, it might take an introduction to them through mac and cheese before you begin choosing the Brussels sprouts and broccoli over the mac and cheese because it actually tastes better. You know, there's a more subtle flavor profile. There's more room for appreciation with those, with those kinds of foods. And so it's, I think it's the same with video games. What we're doing is we're packing these practices, things that we just know are good for you. Our first game, Audio Trip, is about to come out. And that just gets you dancing. And it's incredibly fun. You know, I'm not interested in publishing games. That's what we are. We're a publisher. I'm not interested in publishing games that aren't fun. I'm not interested in publishing games that, that are like eat your vegetables, you know? No, these are, these are fun, engaging pieces of entertainment that actually go deeper and, and into enticing and exciting and, and, and giving you a state of, of a, say, true ecstasy or something approaching ecstasy while playing rather than diversion because they actually nourish you on a really deep level. Yeah, what do current games do? I'm, and I'm sure you've studied this, but you know, some of the most popular games like Fortnite or Overwatch or whatever it is, what are they doing to people in your estimation? Are they doing good things or neutral things or bad? Or it's a combination. I don't think I don't buy into the narrative that you know video games are bad and destructive. I mean, there's there's for there's a certain age where kids, for example, really shouldn't be really shouldn't be looking at screens at all. Um, but and there's certainly, you know, anything that is as engaging as a video game is can be uh, can be can become an addiction. So so that aside, because video games can be addicting, um, especially and, and they can also be designed intentionally to be addicting, which I think is um, a, I think is a real problem. Um, but not all games are. In fact, I'd say most games aren't. Most games are designed to be fun and engaging and and what I what we see with people who play video games is that it, it actually is depending on the game, and I think more importantly, depending on your relationship with the game, it can it can really exercise parts of your mind. It can really we we've seen that video games, just playing video games, not even specific video games, can uh, reduce or prevent Alzheimer's, for example. Um, and the the this part's this one's anecdotal, but certainly the the adults I know who played video games when they're younger, when they were younger, seem to be more capable of putting their mind to a challenge now in adulthood than the ones that I know who who were not exposed to video games. So I don't have I don't have science for that one. That one's just anecdotal. So there there are a number of very positive um, side effects of playing video games. There are a number of negative ones as well. Uh, but I think when we, you know, I think there's a real problem when we approach the technology and say like, okay, what, what, what about this technology is good for you? Let's optimize for that. Because when you do that, what you wind up with actually is um, boring and, um, and uninspiring and, and really feels like an eat your vegetables sort of thing. What makes games so powerful is, is that they're inspiring is these fantasy worlds that you're fully immersed in and that you believe. And, or, or the fully immersive environment that that invites you in a full-bodied way into the experience, or at least a projection, a full-body projection into the experience, like a mental projection of your body. So there's a well, a couple of things I've noticed with games. It's just a nice way 
you know, I guess a safe way for people to have achievements and to build up their stats and achieve wealth in the game or power or influence or again, accomplishments. Well, so, so one thing I, I noticed is that. I want to step in here and because I have, have just been talking about the positive game of, uh, aspect of games. I, I do think there's, I, I, you know, everything is about how you use it. And if, if you're using these, these fantasy worlds and these, these fantasy rule sets in order to um, practice, it's really like, what are you practicing when you play a video game? Because if what you're practicing is avoiding something in your life, or even if what you're practicing through the gameplay is like a, a, a power a power game every night or um, I mean, people talk about a lot about violence and I have a lot of thoughts about violence in video games. I think violence is overused as, as a, uh, I guess, as a mechanic in games or as a, as an aesthetic structure in games. You know, you don't really see the same obsession with violence in, in say opera or, or uh, literature or even, even film which is just interesting to me. I, I honestly, I think that's just an aesthetic habit that the game industry is in and, and nothing else. And when you play those sorts of things again and again and again and again and again, you can, you can bet your mind is practicing something. You can bet you're playing a role that's going to impact the role that you play in your day-to-day life. But overall, I would describe the technology of gaming as, as just a remarkable tool and also a remarkable environment for... Um, creative expression, creativity, artistic expression. And what I mean when I say artistic expression is, is channeled wisdom. So that's what artists are doing is they're channeling something that's, that's greater than themselves. And that has a more powerful impact than something that they, they designed, say, exclusively from their rational prefrontal cortex, from the rational centers of their mind. Um, well, I guess I you, a good example is Minecraft. You know, my kids have built all kinds of really cool buildings in Minecraft and learned about shearing sheep and you know they've done all kinds of amazing stuff there so that's yeah minecraft really really engages kids kids uh creativity it's really inspiring to see what that game has done for for this this generation that's coming up so yeah even games where let's say you have to do you do have to establish power for someone that feels disempowered you know their whole life maybe they're in a disadvantaged position maybe the game would help them be more bold i don't know maybe maybe uh, I don't I don't know any of the the science on that, um, but I do what I do see for certain is that um, I don't think most game designers really recognize the true power and potential of the medium for for how do I say this for not only immersing a player in a fantasy world say but but immersing the sort of core levels of a player's being into into a practice of something that can and does transform them. And once we recognize that and and educate ourselves on on uh, deeper phenomenon than say um, than say uh, personality conflict, like let's say you you engage a person on a somatic level, which is what we do in in most of in our games, and what I see what I look for in games that that we publish is like how does this engage a person on a deeper level than egoic play? How does this engage a player say player somatically? Um, so that they can move out, say, deeply held trauma in a way that that doesn't um, that doesn't have that doesn't hurt. Um, so once once we as an industry learn, like educate ourselves on just on human psychology, honestly, and on on deeper levels of human psychology than than power dynamics, we can really take advantage of this form in a much, much more transformative and positive way. That's what I'm looking for. Okay, people so, who are thinking that way. Right. 
So what are, what are some examples of ways you've tried to do that to elevate the gaming experience so that it's uh, not just about what it's currently been about? Yeah, great. Well, I'll talk to you about our first two titles. The first one is Audio Trip. That's coming out. So right now it is, you're speaking to me on the 18th of October. That's going to be coming out on the 24th of October. So really soon. That's a dance game. And it's a game that is designed by a professional choreographer, a professional dancer. And it's in virtual reality. And it really gets a person moving, really gets a person, not only moving, because it's one thing to kind of um, athletically move your body and, and sweat a little bit. I mean, the game does do that. But I think the more important thing is it gets you moving to music, into a musical flow. And when you're in a rhythmic flow, it just like touches, we're dancers, you know, as a species, we're dancers, but the dance is, is kind of, um, I guess, conditioned out of us at a pretty young age. And, and to recondition dance, recondition dance into a person's body in a way that feels intuitive and fun and playful for somebody who has no, uh, who doesn't identify as a dancer and think of themselves as a dancer or even have uh, a, a practice of dance. I go to ecstatic dance about once a week. But, but very few people do that. So we see this having a really positive impact on people. And dance, dance does, dance just, man, it's like so, it's as fundamental to the human experience as music. And, and once you're dancing again, the, 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 um, the ways it heals you is, is totally magical. So that's our, our first experience. Our second experience is a little more subtle. It's called Sound Self, and it draws inspiration from meditation practices and, and frankly, from psychedelics. So it uses your voice, which stimulates your vagus nerve. I don't know if your audience knows much about the vagus nerve, but it's something that scientists no, are only just, yeah, scientists are only, it's a nerve that runs um, from, I can't tell you exactly where it runs, but it definitely runs from sort of between your forehead, down your throat, past your heart. I think to your, it, it's this one nerve or one uh, bundle of nerves that runs up and down your body and regulates the nervous system so whether you're in a sympathetic or a parasympathetic response the uh which is is uh, in a, a rest and recover or a fight or flight response the vagus nerve plays a, a really active role in that so this is a game that actively stimulates the vagus nerve by changing the way a player breathes slowing down their breath having their tone and that vibration uh, vibrates the vagus nerve which really helps a person get into a deeply restful state and while they're doing that, the experience is visually and musically responding to them in a way that's, that's nothing short of magic. And, and what, what it does is it releases a person's sense of, of identity and attachment to identity and attachment to thought forms just as powerfully as deep meditation does. So, and that's a video game. That's are you a video trying, game. And to do a scientific basis for this, or are you yeah, putting this yeah, in the realm of anecdotes for yourself? No, no. We've run a we've run one small study in the EEG study and found a 300% increase in alpha brainwave, 50% increase in theta. Uh, so we're seeing similar uh, brainwave patterns as we see in people who are in deep meditation. And we're actually just what about, the, what about the anecdotal part? What's that like? The anecdotal part is amazing. Okay. I mean, people compare it to 5-MeO-DMT um, and other psychedelics. And I've, I've seen people regularly come out of this experience crying and totally unable to speak. And when you do ask them about the experience, they just can't describe it. 
this is the uh, the dance one, or no, is this no, the, no. The this is one? this is the meditation one, sound song, which is going to be coming out early 2020. So we're approaching the the we're using games to approach the the whole human psychology um, and the whole human embodied experience, rather than just meeting a player on the level of their on the level of their personality, the level of their ego, the level of their agency, the level of um, say domination power play which are fine things to to meet a player on it's just games are capable of so much more so uh, how did you know that the uh, meditation app would uh, or the meditation game would would help people get into the right state like what factors are in the game to facilitate them getting to where they need to go honestly it was an intuitive process and this is this is actually something a way that i think art is a, a really as as an intervention let's say a wellness intervention or even a um, a medical intervention, not necessarily in the Western medical sense, but a, 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 as an intervention to a person's experience of reality and a person's uh, well-being, art is so much more powerful than rationally, redu reductively created interventions. And we all know that intuitively, because like, if you think of what, like, like has your, some of us have had our lives changed by a, by a surgery or by a pharmaceutical, but all of us have had our lives changed by a piece of art. And when we're asked, how did that change your life? You can maybe come up with an answer, but I think we, we all of us deeply understand that the way art changes us is more mysterious than that. And, and the reason is that artists are engaged in a process of intuition and channeling. So you're, you're coming up with and putting things onto a canvas if you're a painter, into code if you're a game designer, um, into uh, notes on a piece of paper if you're a composer. And you're putting things into form that you don't entirely understand. But as you go through this process, you begin to understand it more. But more importantly, something that is being created is bigger and more powerful and more comprehensive than, uh, than something that is created through the mind alone. So this is a... Um, a an inductive versus a reductive process. A reductive process is what we go through when we identify a problem in the world. This is what entrepreneurs and scientists usually do when they're designing a product, is you identify a problem in the world, you think about it, you research it, you find solutions, and, and then you, you design a product based on, on your findings. Now, that's great, and, and you can usually have pretty effective laser-focused products built from that, but the reality is that, that those products don't impact people's lives as in a satisfactory or, frankly, as, as powerful and transformative a way as work that is made in a channeled way, like artists do, in an inductive way, like artists do. And this is why I embed myself in the world of entertainment, because being surrounded by artists, I think I'm, and working with artists and helping artists create their vision, I think I'm, I'm helping more powerful interventions come into the world, interventions that are more powerful than we can even understand than working in a, a top-down product design sort of way. Well, I was envisioning like a, an art program where you can, uh, let's say you're drawing something on the screen and then it can call up certain music to help you get into a certain mood or affect your mood or it can call up different things to affect your senses as you're creating art. That might be a really cool way for people to create art in a new way. Well, we're, we're working with, with a lot of people who are 
using virtual reality to to bring together the creative process, music making, dance, and so on, because these are these are I mean I mean we don't think of them as um, interventions, but they are, and and they're they're powerful interventions. And which doesn't say all art is. I mean, when art is imitating other art, or art is coming from a a more egoic place, which I think is probably like 80 to 90% of art. It just doesn't work. And we know that, you know, you, we know when we're encountering a piece of genius versus when we're encountering a piece of imitation and a piece of imitation can satisfy something in us because we recognize something, but we, we recognize something we've seen a hundred times before. It's not going to change us. It might be comforting. And I think that's the, the domain that most video games are in. You know, they're, they're, every first person shooter is imitating doom and half-life and and wolfenstein and 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 imitating action movies um i i think it's very rare that we see a first person shooter on the market that is truly truly inspired you know maybe half-life 2 was but when art is coming from from that place of genius it it touches it can't help but touch something in in us that makes us sometimes uncomfortable and sometimes in a state of awe well, you're saying that you have to provide the genius as the game designer, or you want to create a, a game where the person can experience their own genius. Uh, I understand. Well, uh, Andromeda is a publisher, and so we're looking for the geniuses and working with the geniuses. Fine. I, I, and I say that it sounds kind of funny to say that, but but honestly, it's true. You know, I'm not interested in working with with people who aren't who aren't channeling genius. It's just a waste of my time. It's a waste of our audience's time. If they're imitating something, it's just, it's not, frankly, I don't think it's worth putting into the market. But there are enough people who are really channeling something of true genius that is, that they can't understand, that you can't understand when you look at it, you just feel it. And those pieces, if, if I can put science behind them, I mean, obviously as a publisher, we put money behind it. We put marketing behind it. We tell a story about it and we weave a story about how, how gaming can impact people's lives. Uh, but if I can also put put the research behind it, so that we can, uh, so that we can actually reductively determine what's being uh, being done here, so to help people understand it, you know, there's something happening here. There's a transformation or an evolution happening here in what gaming is and can be. And and I'm looking for the oh. the, the creators in the world who are who are engaged in that process. How how high is your genius score on uh, when you look at something, a game? Or whatever it is, and you think it's genius, you know, do you ask the opinions of others that you work with or that you know or users and do they say the same as you? Like are you pretty predictive, you feel like, of what you think genius is or what's your take there? Um, I've got uh, so if you're asking how we pick games. Um Yeah, and when you do so, do your you know, the people that use the games agree? Do you find that? Or do you find that your tastes are uh, are unusual? Oh, we find that our tastes are very unusual, but um, um, but it's in in the sense that we're 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 just not interested in like I talk about first person shooters and puzzler games and things like that, which can be very powerful and interesting. But our, our taste is certainly unusual. But we are seeing an impact in our audience that is uh, surprising. Um, so I'm, so what, I'm are, thinking, what are some examples? What are some anecdotal examples of, of the uh, surprise you see in your audience or the experience they tell you about? Yeah, that's a good question. I remember once taking a person out of sound self. He was lying down. He'd been playing for 20 minutes. We were recording him. We asked him before if we could record him. He said, sure. But he forgot he was being recorded. And he took off the mask and 
um, he, his eyes were, were tear filled and he just stayed lying there for about um, two minutes. And, and you could see he was like, you know, I, I, I have a practice of psychedelics and I know a lot of people with a practice of psychedelics and when somebody's in that, that state of surprise and, and discovery and, and humility, humility and gratitude, there's a, a look that you can learn to recognize in people's eyes. You sometimes see it when, when people are in love. And he had this look in his eyes and, and he was just, eventually I interrupted him and um, he tried to describe his experience, but he couldn't. What he did say was that he was not prepared to, he was not prepared to have an experience like that that day. And um, when, when he realized that we were recording him, he, he said, do not use that recording. He was in far too vulnerable a place after playing this video game to feel comfortable being with that recording going out in the world. Now that, that, that kind of reaction is one that I've seen for SoundSelf several times. Audio Trip is a game. It is a game. We see people coming out of this experience and they're, they're laughing, you know, they're, so people don't, people don't play these things and come out of it and with their mind say like, oh, that's, that's a work of genius. That's going to be, that's not exactly what I, what I'm talking, because I don't really give a shit about what people think, you know, it's what people feel. The thinking and the analyzing and the judgment is secondary to that. But, but what people feel you know, with Audio Trip, when people come out dancing, with when people who are like, frankly, really out of shape, they're fat, they're not, they're not in their body. You could feel that they're not in their body by by the way they move and the way they engage in the world, and and then they go into to Audio Trip and they and suddenly they're free. And when they come out of it for a little while, they're still free. You know, like like we encounter people all the time in our day to day life who just aren't free. They don't realize they're free and they're afraid. But then you put them in a game. And they come out and, 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 they, and freedom is moving through their veins and, and it changes the way they walk and it changes the way they talk and it changes the way they hold themselves. You know, that's the power of this medium when it's used correctly and intelligently. Yeah, that's cool. And that's the work that we're looking for. Are there, um, I mean, are there games coming out that are more shared experiences where it's not just one player, but you know how like, again, a lot of the traditional games out there, Fortnite, et cetera, they're played by many people online massively. Are you able to rec- or find people that have made those kinds of experiences? Transformational, yeah, but they're also shared amongst a lot of people. Yeah, the social aspect is, is I think, a really important one to transformation. Uh, Jamie Wheel talks about, um, he's got these three uh, ecstasies. Let me see if I can remember them. These, these three aspects of, of flow that... Um, that that uh, how do I describe this? These three a- aspects of flow or religious experience, or these deeply transformative experiences. One of them is ecstasis. Um, I can't remember the other one, but the third one is he calls it communitas, which is I mean, the spiritual traditions for for forever have been community community traditions. It's sangha, and so the community aspect is is a really important one for tackling human transformation. It's it's not it's none of our games currently, I think, take advantage of community to the to the degree that that um, would I'll say enough. I I think the next generation of this work that we're going to be looking into is going to engage community a lot more. We're we're working with Vision Agency, who who makes Microdose VR. That's Android Jones's company. And they're very much thinking about the the communitas, about what is the community experience here. And, and how do we create a, 
an experience of wonder that is more powerful because it is shared. So I think that's going to be really important in the next 10 years or so. Um, but but it's it's definitely something I'm just at the beginning of exploring. So have you formed ideas on what kind of game you would want to make? Yeah, I don't know if you would want to, but uh, I'm sure you have ideas on like, like different kinds of games that you'd want to make. I'm the CEO of Andromeda, but I'm, I'm also an artist. SoundSelf is my project. And um, I'm not, I don't really, I don't think that I'm a, um, I don't think of myself as a serial creator. You know, SoundSelf came to me in a flash of inspiration and I've been working on it for uh, almost eight years now. And, and unless another flash of inspiration comes to me, I don't see any need to continue making things. I'm more interested in, in creating an economic ecosystem that can support other people who are making transformative games. Uh, so that's, that's my focus. And in terms of what am I looking for, uh, that's, here are the things that I'm interested in. I'm really interested in biofeedback and biosensors. So game designers who are thinking, of, really it's, it's game designers who are thinking about the body and thinking about the body in a way that draws inspiration and influence from meditation traditions, dance, science, uh, just the, the incredible things we're learning about the mind-body connection. Because that's the thing, most games don't really target the body. You're using your thumbs, your keyboard, a mouse, and that's about the extent of your embodied interaction. But once we, once we reach the whole body, and once you start looking at the body, then the kinds of games that you're inclined to design, I've noticed, are, are rather different. So game designers who are thinking about the body as a control mechanism are making more, um, are making a very different kind of game than game designers who are thinking about the user as uh, a controller of thumbs and, and a keyboard. So that's one of the things I'm looking for is, okay, are you thinking about the body? Um, are you... I'm very interested in meditation and transformation. So are you thinking about the psychology of the player? Not only to give a player an experience of fun, but to give a player an experience of transformation. And I think the most important thing is, is just feeling into the development team and feeling the integrity of the development team, what sort of um, stage of consciousness development you could say that that team is operating from. And, and really it comes to this question, are they channeling something? And if they're channeling something, you can feel it. Or are they imitating yeah. something? So do you think that there's going to be a, uh, a game that specifically helps people with, uh, with meditation? Or is it already there in the, the, the games that you're publishing? Or it's is there going to be there. another way to say, okay. It's already there. What do you think Sounds... is the best? Yeah, so, go on. Go ahead. What do you think is the best way to access, you know, to help yourself along with meditative practice? Which game? Um, it depends what you're after. So sound self is not a, it's not something that teaches you how to meditate on a, on a mind level. It's not like a, uh, something you practice and you play every day to teach you how to meditate. There's no, there's no guidance or education or anything like that. So it's more like a psychedelic. It transports you and puts you into a, a deeply still place if you let it. And if you do that enough, perhaps there's some learning that's happening on a deeper level. So I'm really, I'll tell you, I am not into serious games. I'm not into games that are like, play this game and you'll learn how to meditate. Play this game and it's good for you, you know, it, because it's it, as soon as we lose, as soon as we lose the player focus as the center of the design impetus and it becomes about some external outcome become better in some ways, then, then I think we're lost. And I think that that artistic integrity becomes totally compromised. Um, so 
as far as teaching people how to meditate, I think if what you're after is to learn how to meditate, um, I don't, I don't really have an answer for you. But if what you're after is transformative experiences that may include putting you into meditative states, then I think sound self is one of the most, in, uh, one of the most powerful things that's out there. And mm. we're looking for more. But if, if what you're looking to do is learn how to meditate, there are apps for that. And I think they're frankly like, I mean, there's, there's, there's a place for that economically, but um, I, I, it leaves a little bit of a, it's just not interesting to me. I'll, I'll put it that way. Right. I got you. Well, I was also envisioning, I wonder if there would be like a couples therapy type of app where, you know, couples, they could have a, a transformative experience together that would uh, improve their relationship. Yeah. But why call it, why, why make a, a couples therapy app, you know? Like, why not just make a transformative experience? And then people who come into that experience together and say an experience of mystery and people come into an experience of mystery together and they're humbled by it. And there's, there's almost nothing more connecting than being humbled together. Now, as soon as you make an app, that's like, this is going to help you and your, your spouse get on better. And your, your output targeted like that, you have a, um, sort of a focused experience from coming in to coming out uh, that's focused on an outcome. And when you're focused on an outcome like that, you're not actually in a state of humility. You're in a state of, of, um, of uh, there's a little, little bit of shame baked into that because I'm not good enough already. I'm trying to get somewhere else. And also there's a, you're putting pressure on life to deliver you a particular outcome. And when you enter an experience, putting pressure on that experience and putting pressure on, frankly, on yourself to come out with a particular outcome, you're just less open. Now, we don't have that experience in cinema. You don't go to the movies asking for it to change you in some way, which is why we come out of the movies so changed. I mean, it's ironic. It's ironic. But but that's just like we know that's how we work. You don't you, – you try to change – like all of us who are in relationships – we, I try to change my partner all the time. It doesn't, it just doesn't work, you know. But when we have experiences okay. together, we can't help but be changed. So I'm, I'm. That's what okay. I'm interested in is the integrity yeah. of the experiences people are having, and just like leaving expectation at the door, you know, and leaving, leaving the desired outcome at the door. Because as soon as we come in with a desired outcome, it, it severely limits the, the the mystery and the magic of the experience, which is why I'm in entertainment and not in medicine, say. Right. Well, very good. Where can people find the, uh, the two titles that you spoke about and how can they uh, experience these things? Yeah, great. Well, if you go to our website, which is enterandromeda.com, both Audio Trip and SoundSelf are virtual reality experiences. Audio Trip is coming out on the 24th of October, and SoundSelf is going to be coming out early in 2020. You can get Audio Trip on Steam or on the Oculus Store, and SoundSelf will uh, hopefully by the time you put this out, we'll, you'll be able to find SoundSelf and, on Steam and wishlist it. Uh, but you can also always go to uh, enterandromeda.com or soundself.com and sign up to the mailing lists there, and we'll let you know when it's out. Or you can follow us on Twitter. That's uh, at Enter Andromeda. Enter Andromeda is our, handles, is our handle on all social platforms. Right. And well, we, uh, we, we post yeah. a lot, not just on our titles, but on uh, just evolutions and things we find interesting in gaming and embodiment and so on. Right. Well, very good. Well, Robin, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. And, uh, you know, it's been interesting. So, sure. I, you know, I encourage people to check out the titles and 
I'll check him out too. I'd like to see what the experience is like. So thank oh, you. Oh yeah. You got to try it, man. Like really these things are things you have to try to understand like, mm. like any, any ritual or any piece of, of magic. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.